I've heard ally, I've heard accomplice, I've heard co-conspirator. And I think the big thing for me with any of these terms is that there needs to be action involved. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Erica Corday. I am a coach and consultant, and I mainly am in the DEI space, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Talking about how diversity, equity, and inclusion affects your life as well as your business. We can't leave you on the table, how you feel, and how that shows up, because one absolutely influences the other. In this episode, Erica and I are talking about what we as business owners can do when it comes to making our businesses more diverse, equitable, and inclusive including how to start having the often uncomfortable conversations around these topics? A big chunk of it is about listening. Because if you take the time to listen to the way a person speaks, if you listen to the things that they're saying, they'll give you the cues on a number of things if you're willing to listen. Some of the mistakes we make as well-meaning people seeking to do better? I need to have this conversation because I need to work through this and I need to feel like I'm doing I, 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 I. And that right there, like you're already fully shooting yourself in the foot. It's like, that's not what this is supposed to be about. And what it means to be an imperfect ally. It's about being willing to move through it and to just keep moving, even if that's imperfectly. And the reality is, is that's where the evolution is. That's where the growth edge is. And so finding where it's like, huh, I didn't know that. I thought that was something different. I'm now seeing that there's other options with this. That's where possibility lies. One of the big lessons over the past year for many of us, including myself, is that we have more work to do when it comes to how diversity, equity, and inclusivity show up in our businesses. One of the challenges is that the words themselves can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, from the personal and interpersonal to communal, societal, and even global interpretations. So to start off, I wanted to know how Erica defines these ideas in a down-to-earth, practical way. So often people go with these words and there's these nuances in what it means to one person versus another. And having that kind of groundwork of what it means when it's being spoken about in conversation or in organizations, I think is important. So diversity, when I use the term, is really having a place of allowing what makes people different to have a part in the conversation, the decision-making process, how things were created. So the way that you perceive things, the way you speak about things, your family of origin, all of the things that contribute to your individual way of walking through life. When I think about inclusion, I don't think about everyone being included because everyone doesn't want to be included. I think inclusion is about including everyone that wants to be included and allowing them, again, to be a part of the process. And equity is really the precursor to equality. It's about seeing where there are places where everyone does not have equal, free, and clear access to the same things, whether that's money, resources, time, safety, and being able to close those gaps so that everybody can have that space to just be who they are and be free in their skin and then be able to find that place to thrive. And with that, I think it's so important for everybody to consider. And I think it's important to consider it before you think it's necessary, because once you think it's necessary, you kind of feel like you're having to go back and fix and amend things. And if you come in from a place of 
How can I really set some groundwork and some foundation so that whether it was me or five or 10 people, it makes it simple to know that, you know, when someone comes in that doesn't look, live or love the way that I do, they don't feel excluded. They don't feel like they're not seen or valued, that everyone that comes in knows that their voice matters and they have a part of the process. And it's literally just stopping and reconsidering your normal. What are the things that you don't think about? And you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is what everyone does. And really questioning, is it? And when you do that, you allow that space for differences to actually show up in a way that this can be incorporated into what you do, not only internally, but also what you do forward facing. So the people that you're speaking to or you're selling to or you're serving can also feel as though this person gets me, they see me, they understand. And it makes a huge difference in how that communication works when people feel like you're actually hearing them versus just listening. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that it's not just about people who look different from you. It's uh, people who look, live, or love different than you. And you know, probably you could put many other words in there as well. But I think where this conversation immediately goes, especially as we're recording this in 2020, is to racial differences. But there are a whole number of different kinds of, of ways that people organize themselves or are organized or we categorize people that this applies to. So I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about that and some of that diversity within this conversation even. Absolutely. And this is where I think it's important to consider intersectionality, because it's very easy, for example, to break down what's happening right now to Black Lives Matters. And when you look at it that way, if we're not also considering that there's the intersection of trans lives, of queer lives, of disabled lives, there's so many people that identify as Black that are more than just Black. And so just looking at this one space, if you are now forcing a person to be only one thing, you're forcing them to have to leave pieces of themselves on the table. And so if you have someone that identifies as a woman, she is over 50, she is plus size, she happens to be queer, she happens to identify as non-binary, she happens to be disabled. Like there's so many things that now this person is like, well, do you only see one thing and leave this on the table and we're not going to address the rest? And so it's really important to remember that intersectionality is about addressing all the pieces that make a person whole because nobody is going to fall into any one category. Even you as a white male, it's like, well, you don't live here. Like you're not local to the States at this time. And you have facial hair and like there's all of these things and they might seem small, but all of these things are pieces of what make you who you are. And if we really want to be holistic about allowing people to be entire individuals, then we have to keep all of those pieces integrated. Yeah. So I think that one of the things that prevents this conversation from getting started even is that a lot of people have this fear of, of not knowing and like, in that example that you just identified, there are all these different parts of one person that one person embodies that we might not know how to respond to any of those, let alone all of these, and then let alone in their relation to other people in our lives and how all these things collide. And it can be a very messy topic to wade into. And so I, I think that this fear that we all have is like, well, I'm going to get shot down for saying anything. So I don't know how to approach the conversation. So I'm just not going to take part in it at all, even though you might be a well-intentioned person who like wants to do something. So I'm curious how you work with people who are at this place of wanting to do something and don't know how and to start like taking those first steps into, you know, stating their values and, and starting to live them. 
Well, I think one of the first things is having to acknowledge that everybody doesn't want to be a part of that conversation with you. There are going to be some people that are not willing to give their permission to discuss the ways that they choose to identify. And without you knowing what their experiences have been, their past, any traumas that they may have endured, first of all, you have to just respect that and understand that it's not about you and what you want to do. There are times that you have to say, okay, I respect that and I won't, you know, I won't engage you there. But I think that a big chunk of it is about listening, because if you take the time to listen to the way a person speaks, let's say, for example, there's someone that you've come across a few times in a networking event or you've had a few people in common and you're seeing their you know, Instagram lives or something. If you listen to the things that they're saying, they'll give you the cues on a number of things if you're willing to listen. So how they maybe identify, what are some of the experiences that they've had that you're hearing come up as a reference point to some of the things that they're doing? What are some of the causes that matter to them? And so if you listen to those things, you can then go into conversation from a very just open base point of, hey, you're doing awesome things. And I just wanted to to tell you that's great and leave a little bit of space to kind of just let the dialogue be regular dialogue. Because I think people are automatically sometimes looking to go in and it's like, wait, let's just hit all the deep stuff right away. And it's like, no, you have to give it a little bit of space to evolve just like you would any other type of relationship on any level. And so When you go in with no expectations, you're willing to listen and receive and respond in turn, but not make it about you, then it's a lot easier to step into that place of imperfection because now this person is like, okay, this person is talking to me. They're listening. This feels quote unquote normal. And I always say that because normal is a weird word, but this feels kind of the way that you hope conversation should feel. And at that point, if something doesn't go so great, it's like, you know, I screwed that up. I apologize. And they're probably a little more likely to be like, it's okay. It's okay. We, you know, and giving you that space to keep going. Yeah. You know, it's just occurring to me that I think a lot of people feel this pressure, especially this year when the conversation has been like so front and center and there's been an expectation, you know, which is, I think a good thing on businesses on uh, whether you're a solopreneur or business as a whole to take a stance. And so I think that that creates this pressure to say something publicly. And that is a risky arena to step into stating something publicly if you haven't had one-to-one conversations with people around you. And so what I'm hearing from you is that you're saying like there are probably people in your life who in some way are different from you. Imagine that, that there are people in your life who are different from you, who you can begin to have these conversations with in a really safe setting, because probably you can... There's so much more nuance in a person-to-person conversation, and you can wade into this and say, like, hey, you know, if you're open to this, like, I would love to talk more about this. I don't know what I'm doing, and please let me know if I offend you, if I say something that might offend someone else, all of these things. And they're probably going to be like, yeah, that's, you know, if if we know each other, if we have a connection already, like, of course I'm going to do that for you and give you that space. Whereas if you're just immediately going to go post something on Twitter or Instagram, not having had any groundwork built up in one-to-one conversations, that probably is a pretty bad scenario to, to wade into. It is because when you do it that way, it's more like, wait, I need to have this conversation because I need to work through this and I need to feel like I'm doing I, 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 I. And that right there, like you're already fully shooting yourself in the foot. It's like, that's not what this is supposed to be about. And so when you go in it that way, I think you're opening yourself up to think about things differently and to just kind of be like, wow, I 
I didn't even consider that or that wouldn't have even crossed my mind. I didn't think that that was a thing. And when you allow that space, you'd be surprised what comes up. But it also gives you a place to do what I think is one of the most important things, which is to actually get clear on what matters to you. What do you support and what are you against? And so if you're never able to get into conversation to actually confront things and say, yeah, I know I was raised a certain way, but I'm actually sitting still for a second and realizing that like this feels funny and I don't like this. And even if I'm not quite sure what it is, I need to pay attention to maybe what's going on so I can identify why this just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, I I think that's our lives are so fast paced. And I think there are so many cues like discomfort is a cue that something is wrong. Right. And too often we feel discomfort and we just move away from it because there's, you know, we can go on social media and get our quick hit or like whatever it is, all these different ways that we have to distract ourselves. And all it really takes sometimes to be like, oh, that made me uncomfortable. Why? Like, what, what is that? Do I have some, some belief that I've been raised with that might not be true? Am I maybe like inflicting, you know, harm in some way or another on another person? Like what is going on here? I think the, the thing that I've really realized this year, I feel like has become so apparent to me has been that it doesn't take weeks of sitting in a silent meditation retreat to come to meaningful answers that often it's like noticing the thing that that discomfort or whatever it is and spending three minutes just thinking through, huh, what, what was that? Why was that? And oftentimes you'll like find the, at least the, the answer that will lead to the next question or whatever it is and can start to piece them together that way. Well, and what you said is is the exact point in that there is no, I think so many people, whenever I mention the imperfect allyship, first of all, they get nervous because they're like, well, does that mean I just have to stay in discomfort? And it's like, that that doesn't necessarily mean that. It won't be comfortable at all times, but it's not necessarily that you have to stew in it for months and years on end. But it's about being willing to move through it and to just keep moving, even if that's imperfectly. And it's a continuation. And so like you mentioned, like you have these moments and you're like, huh, all right, noted. I I see that. And now you're aware and the awareness is a huge piece of it. And so allowing that space to keep going and to see where these things are coming up, you're unraveling it. And so it really is reminding people that it's a journey. This is not a, oh, there's a destination and I'm here and I'm all done now. There's no such thing. And so it's just that constant, like, notice, aware, unravel, kind of keep going thing. Yeah. I think that one of the helpful things for me in, of course, like as a white male, middle-class, cisgender, straight, all of these things, all this privilege, I think it's been really important for me to, when having these conversations, almost starting from a place of I probably am wrong about this. My way that I've been raised, especially in Canada, in the prairies of Canada, which is very homogenous, like I just didn't have much experience with people from diverse backgrounds. A lot of people around me were pretty much like me. And so I think that like as as I've been kind of working through this, it's just been really helpful to think like, okay, I'm going to start from the assumption that I'm wrong and other people know more about this than I do because what experience do I have to actually build up my my beliefs or my viewpoint? And I think that that's like a difficult kind of philosophy to embrace, but I think it can be really helpful in like remembering like you're not supposed to have all the answers to this. And that like part of the the journey is like just continually getting a little bit more, a few more, getting a little bit more comfortable with it over time, but not like starting from a place like, well, of course I know everything about this, which I think is is where a lot of conflicts happen. 
And I agree 100%. And there's this place of, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So of course you think you're an expert when you're only looking at a very small piece of, of the puzzle overall. And I don't think anybody really seeks to be wrong, so to speak, especially when it's something that's going to impact someone else. But the reality is, is that's where the evolution is. That's where the growth edge is. And so finding where it's like, huh, I didn't know that. I thought that was something different. I'm now seeing that there's other options with this. That's where possibility lies. And it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Where I think wrong actually comes in, and I always kind of have a tough time when it really becomes the right or wrong polar opposite thing, unless we're literally talking about whether or not somebody can be safe. But wrong is more to me when it's like, no, I am right. I know all things and I am not willing to consider anything different. Like when you have just dug your heels in and you are just unwilling to be malleable in any way, shape or form, that's where I'm like, no, we have a problem now. But outside of that, it's really just about leaving the space to consider something else that maybe does look different. I mean, I grew up until the second half of fifth grade, I went to an all black school. And so I didn't really have any interactions with white people. And then when I, my second half of, you know, kindergarten, all, I mean, kindergarten, fifth grade, all the way through, it was majority white for the most of, of those years. And so when I went to this new school, I could very easily have just said, I don't know what's happening here, but no, not all of this is wrong. And I've never kind of had that type of mindset. I've always kind of been like, hmm, all right, let's see. And it's it's served me well. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have my things that sometimes I have to tap myself on the shoulder like, OK, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> let's let's make sure that we're, you know, being as, as open as as we can be in this moment. And but also being patient when sometimes there's other reasons why. And being able to dig into that. And so I feel like there is a lot of patience that you have to have with yourself when you're moving through things. Because sometimes it's like, if you're having a sticking point, why is that? What's coming up? And just being able to be patient because this is not a speed round. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. What What are some of the lessons that you've taken away from having those experiences being, you know, in an all black school, then a pretty much all white school and kind of living in these two worlds that have been meaningful or, or helped shape how you see these topics now? Oh man, there's been so many things. And that was where it was interesting to me growing up. I had race come all through my life and had no ideas. I mean, I had a mother that grew up during, you know, civil rights and some of the family could pass and get into places and other family members could not. Uh, she grew up with a lot of racism with the job that she did. And so I got a lot of narrative around what people should and should not be, whether they were black, they were white, they were women, they were men, uh, they were young, they were old, any of these things. And as I got older, I had a space to live out loud kind of what it meant to me in the sense that it Growing up, you kind of have to take what you're given. And as I got older, I was able to actually pull apart those things where I was like, hmm, I don't really agree with that. That doesn't really make sense to me. And so I'm not going to let that be my truth. I've always been someone that had very diverse friends and taste in music and all these kinds of things. And that worked well for me. But it also was not lost on me 
that I was a Black woman and had experienced racism, had watched family members experience racism. I knew what it was to wonder whether or not I got certain things or not because of the color of my skin. I knew what it was to wonder if certain things were just not offered to me because of the color of my skin, if certain people were resistant to working with me because they assumed I had a certain type of work ethic. And I understood that this wasn't always about how they felt. It was very much conditioning. If you were taught that this is what you do and this is how certain people are, and you have no reason to assume that that came from someone from a you know malicious place or that they were telling you an untruth, and you're going to assume that that's a fact. And I had enough wherewithal within me to question things, even if it wasn't to kind of point at someone and say, you're wrong. But I knew enough in my head to say, mm, I don't know if I feel that way. And that's not always an easy thing to do. It's not. It's really not, which is where I don't expect everyone that I come in contact with personally or professionally to automatically be there. It can take some deprogramming to get there, but it's definitely, I've been on both sides of understanding what it feels like to be discriminated against or someone to assume who I am or what I am or how I am. But I also know what it is to have been given stories written about other people that I may not have ever had any context on and what it looks like to have to say, I'm not going to write your story. I'm going to let you write your story here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned like programming and the systemic nature of, of all of these issues. And I think that that's something that like keeping that in mind that these are systemic issues and acknowledging that kind of takes the pressure off when entering some of the conversations, I think. And thinking about like the person opposing you who has a different viewpoint from you is just evil or whatever it is. And it's like, no, there is a lot going on here for hundreds of years. If probably, you know, we could go back even further. We could go back to, you know, the dawn of humanity and like look at how all these things have interacted to create the current situation. And that's not like an easy thing to work through. And so I think like keeping that in mind that like people are not just being, I mean, they may be being belligerent, but they're not necessarily evil. They've been programmed a certain way. But then I, I think that like, Keeping that in mind, then that this is a systemic issue means that like we have a responsibility to work to change that. And that is something that probably one of my beliefs about business is that, you know, we have a great deal of influence in the people who we work with, the people who work for us to help foster the culture that we want to actually see in the rest of the world. And so I think that, you know, we, we can use this platform that we have to actually start dismantling the system and building up a new system through the work that we do. And I know that, that one of the things that you've talked about on your podcast and on others as well is the importance of having an inclusivity statement for your business that makes it clear for people who work for you, anybody who's interacting with your business, where you stand on certain issues and, and what's kind of like expected. And so I'm curious what should go in an inclusivity statement and how to start constructing that for, for you and your business, whether you're like a solopreneur or you have a team around you as well. This is where I think building the foundations of what your set of beliefs and actions always is going to reference back to in your business. It's important to start that as early as possible. And I know a lot of people will say things like, I'm a solopreneur. I don't need this yet. And you do still need it for you. But when you start to bring team on, you don't want to feel like you're at a place of like, oh, man, now I have to build all of these things and make sure it includes other people. It is much simpler to do it beforehand 
And it sets you up so that no matter what growth looks like for you, this this foundation and this like bottom line understanding of all things is already here. And so when it comes to writing any of your statements, inclusivity being one, it's important because there is this place that I think a lot of people went through within the last six months of feeling like they had to make a statement, they had to say something, they had to be vocal. And it's not necessarily wrong. The challenge comes in when there's no clarity as to why you're doing this, what you're doing this around, and it comes from a place of being reactive. Because then you're saying whatever you think you need to to keep people from coming after you, and it's very fear-based. And you don't have any clarity on okay, if I'm an imperfect ally, who am I an imperfect ally for? When I say I want people to be included here, well, what does that mean? Because again, going back to what you know we talked about in the beginning, inclusivity does not mean everybody. It's not an all call because everybody doesn't want to be included. If you are doing, you know, yoga in the wild, you know, everybody doesn't want to be included in that. Some people are like, I don't want to do it outside and I don't want to do it at all. So you're not speaking to me or at least not now. And so it's important to be able to understand that it's not coming from a place of I'm not including you to say that I want to include those that want to be included in what's happening here. And so when you're doing that, you have to have that understanding of who you're speaking to, who wants to be seen, who wants to be heard, who wants to be valued, why, and being able to understand what it looks like to create two-way dialogue. Because the biggest thing to me that I think some businesses miss is that you are not supposed to be just talking at anyone any more than someone is supposed to simply be coming at you and barking orders. Even McDonald's takes in feedback both ways to be able to figure out what am I going to create for you? And then what are you going to come by for me? And so if you miss what it looks like to be in conversation with the people that you're serving, your audience, those that are listening that maybe aren't clients or customers quite yet, or those that just refer you that maybe have never even bought from you, which is a huge piece that I think people leave. That can't happen if you don't have that clarity and you're not listening. Because if you don't have clarity, you don't know who you're listening to. But then you have to listen to see what this looks like. Yeah. And so as you get clarity on that and come up with a statement, uh, like what are some of the usages that, like where does this benefit people to have and and where should they be displaying it at? Like what stages of their either like uh, marketing or sales processes or team onboarding? Where does that fit into everything? I have some clients that have put it on their website so that as clients come to them, they know that it's a safe space for them and who they work with. And so sometimes they'll have um, a link at the bottom that people can go to, or they'll have, you know, copy on their website and they'll say, maybe it says diversity statement or something, and it will link to another page on the site. I think that it can be a part of your hiring process so that when people come in, they know what type of environment they're actually choosing to to work with. I think it can go into when you are either bringing somebody on your podcast or you want to be on someone else's because you want to make sure like, is this, this person's podcast, you know, the type of environment that I want to be able to support, you know, are the people listening? Do they even want to hear what I have to say? Is this conducive? If you are putting on an event or wanting to participate in an event and you want to know, okay, 
Who are you speaking to? You know, if you have done this for the past five years and the past three have been all white men, then, okay, what have you done to increase diversity with who is is actually buying the tickets to participate? But who's actually being centered as an expert here? And what does that say about who you have decided is an expert in the world? And so I think it really becomes a filter for all of the things that you're doing. And there are places that it needs to be out front, but then there's also places where when you're making decision-making, if you're choosing a new vendor to work with, if you want to switch to a new platform, if you want to onboard a VA, and you just want to make sure that everybody is aware of what they're quote-unquote buying into to participate here, everybody is clear and knows exactly what's going on. Yeah, so I like where you kind of took that because I think that obviously the next step we can come up with all the statements we want, and that's great. And that, I mean, could be seen as just some form of signaling. But you know, where it really, where the rubber hits uh, meets the road, is taking the that's the statement and living it, and having that show up in all of the different actions, like your hiring, like your marketing, all of these things. So I'm curious, where are the maybe the most important parts where these values should be showing up in in our businesses if we have committed to saying like, okay, I've taken the stance, I want to commit to diversity, equity, inclusion in my business and make sure that, you know, we are our imperfect allies uh, in the way we do business. Like, what does that look like in a practical kind of day-to-day basis of the decisions you're making? On a day-to-day basis, part of it is this is going to really prompt you to look at your network and who it is that you're normally speaking with, who it is, again, that you're partnering with. As somebody that has a podcast, okay, I need to bring people on. And you're having to look and say, okay, is my network diverse? Does my network actually support what it is that I am saying matters to me and what I'm in support of? And so I think it can prompt you to say, okay, I need to reach out from this kind of bubble that I've insulated myself in and begin to speak with some different people. I think it shows up in if you're going to market something and you're trying to work on your Instagram grid, you're planning out the next three weeks, four weeks, whatever that is, and you look and you're like, this is very homogenous, not only in the imagery, but also the captions that are here. Who is this speaking to? Is this actually inclusive in any way, shape, or form? Or am I speaking to this one person that looks this one way and lives this one type of life? And so you're now having to step back and say, what am I calling in kind of in that way? I think it shows up when you are choosing, again, like the the platforms that you're working with. So like we have someone that's in our community that we do that's under the brand name of my podcast, Pause on the Play. And we are having some conversations around whether or not the platforms that you're choosing to work with, are they ADA compliant? And so that's, you know, American Disabilities Act. And so if like the screen readers don't work on these sites or, you know, you feel like you're just kind of getting the runaround when you go to talk to someone, you're like, I just keep getting the same answer. This is a clear copy paste. So, you know, any of these kind of small things that these decisions that we just kind of make on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and we don't think about them. But if it's clear that like, you know, for a fact that 10% of your audience is disabled and you want them to be able to actually view and take in your content, however, because some of them aren't viewing it, then you're now going to say, okay, well, if 10% of the people have identified this way, how many people haven't? And so it's like, what changes need to happen? And I think it's a, it's a constant daily action to see where can this get better? Because this is where the imperfection comes in. Everything is not going to be completely perfect right now off the bat. 
but where can you keep making steps that are going to then tie back to the statement if you said, I am dedicated to improving blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So you mentioned there that one of the kind of the root of all of these things is expanding your network, which of course, uh, is going to help you have the conversations in the first place to develop even your perspective on them. It's hard to, to do that in a, a meaningful way if you haven't had any of the conversations in the first place and don't know what the issues are and how you fit into them all. But then, you know, that plays out in who you are marketing to, who your clients are, who you're hiring on your team, and all of these types of things. But I think that a lot of people who have grown up in very homogenous environments, and that's just their circle, don't have any idea of, of how to even start connecting with people. And then I think the other thing that comes out of that is sometimes they'll meet one person who's different from them in some way and latch onto them and they like want to like, oh, this is going to be my like, you know, black friend or disabled friend or my gay friend or whatever it is. And, And that person chances are are pretty high that they want nothing to do with you and you have put them into like a box of like how they're going to you know fit into your network without really addressing them so i'm curious like you've tokenized them at that point like <laughs> yeah. that's bad so so in your experience like how can people who don't have a diverse network to begin with start to develop that it's funny it sounds like i'm simplifying it and i swear i'm not it's legitimately just it's to just start and it's just to have the conversations because If you don't have any conversations with anybody, then obviously nothing's going to happen. And if you feel like you look around and there's no one to have conversations with, okay, let's go back a step further. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Again, if we're talking about events and all of the events that you go to are very homogenous and there's no diversity there, then we already know that you're likely not going to get it from there. But where else are you taking in content? So you've now seen that, okay, I need to maybe shift where I'm spending my time, but who am I listening to? Again, that whole point of who are you centering as an expert in your world? And if all of your experts look and live just like you and they're all talking about the same thing and you're very siloed off, then of course it's not going to be any different. And so I think it's important to then kind of say, like, if you're thinking about social media, if it's LinkedIn, if it's Instagram, okay, begin to listen to the voices of other people that are in these fields that, you know, because the first thing you'll notice is, wow, okay, there's other people that don't look like me that have really large accounts that are actually doing great things. And so I think paying attention to that is huge. I think paying attention to the content you take in on just like a life level is important. So like if you're watching television, for example, if all of the shows, again, are just reflective of what your bubble looks like, you're not inviting in any different perspectives. So it's important to think about what am I normalizing with the information that I take in and what am I choosing to other by not listening to that or watching that or, you know, taking in something from someone else. And so if you feel like you don't have anyone around to start with, begin to listen to different things. And if opportunities come up, have conversations with someone or begin to have the conversations if you feel as though you're comfortable to do so about, hey, I, this is something that I want to do differently and I'm, I'm taking in different information and I, I, I want to listen to the views of other people that don't just, you know, look, live or love just like me or that, you know, live in the same location as me or, just, or you know, I live in the U.S. and so we're all Americanized in some way, shape or form. And so somebody that lives globally, there's going to be some nuances in how certain words show up, tone, things like that. And so being able to kind of get out of that is going to help. And I'm a firm believer in 
kind of speaking it out loud and you're calling it in almost a little bit because now you're like, yeah, this is something I want to do. And so now there's also that possibility of people realizing like, oh, well, you're open to do it. I didn't even know that you were open to doing this. And so, yeah, we can, I'll talk with you. Cool. Why not? But you have to start by acknowledging what you don't know. Yeah, I love that recommendation, that point about consuming content that isn't specifically about race or anything like that. It's just from a diverse group of creators. And I know for me, I had a kind of an aha moment. I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast, uh, LeVar Burton Reads. No, but first of all, I love him on Twitter. He's he's hilarious. He is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But for anybody who hasn't heard his show, it's one of my very favorite podcasts. And a lot of people, of course, are familiar with him from either Star Trek or Reading Rainbow. And so basically, LeVar Burton Reads is a podcast that's like the adult version of Reading Rainbow. And so in each episode, he reads a short story and there's some like music and sound design and it's really well produced. And they are incredible short stories. But he places extreme importance and there's clearly a focus on diversity of authors. And there have been a few stories that I've listened to of his where my mind has been blown because I don't think that we necessarily, especially as people who grew up in in North America and probably especially if you're of European background, realize how deep the story mythologies of Europe, kind of a Eurocentric kind of group of stories, how, how that's influenced all of all of our media, all of our movies, all of our books, everything is kind of tied to these same narratives and these worlds that have been created. And what I really love is like, he's got all these diverse authors who have all these then diverse genres. So there's like sci-fi that is very like Afrocentric. And I remember listening to one story and I was like, I have never heard anything like this before. And I think that like consuming that, like life is so much richer and there's like more out there than we realize. And it's just, not only are you like broadening your thinking and your horizons, but it's enjoyable. Like it's pleasurable to find new things. Like our, our brains like the surprise of, of discovering something new. And so I think that that's such a great way to start introducing yourself to, you know, other cultures in a way that's just like easy. It's like, it's fun to do it. It's funny to me because like I wouldn't, first of all, I didn't even know he did that. So I'm like, I need to go find this podcast. And it's interesting to me to hear him do this because I feel like the the three main things that he's done that I know of, and for some people, they only know two, he actually has had this cycle of roles that he's played, in which case, Reading Rainbow, I grew up with as a kid, of course, and I knew Star Trek. But what some people may or may not have even realized was that he played a slave in Roots which was the first place that I knew him. And so it's like, you've gone through all of these kind of spaces in the sense that like I have, you know, he has not had a unilateral career, whether it was ability or I hate to call it a life affliction, but your kind of station that you were at in life and even just like the energy around it. And then to have him then be like, wait, let's, let's do this full circle thing. I'm like, this is, this is perfection. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So you've talked a a few times about this idea of imperfect allyship, and this is something that's really central to your message. And I think that is something that is so important to keep in mind for everyone trying to do any small or large part in this work. Can you share a little bit about how you think about that that concept and how that plays out for people? Absolutely. So imperfect allyship is you as the, the ally, seeing someone that doesn't have equal and free access to something that you take for granted. Again, whether that's money, whether that's safety, and it can literally be, you know, education, it can be jobs, it can be housing, it can be anything. But you seeing that there's a disparity and that you want to shift this. And you're choosing 
to put forth your energy and your efforts to close the gaps and see what needs to happen to make sure that equity is actually provided, but also knowing from the word go, you're not going to do this perfectly. As I tend to say it, I kind of say you're going to eat some Nike. You're going to put your foot in your mouth and, and yet you're still willing to do it anyway. You're willing to do it knowing that you're not going to do it perfectly. You're doing this and it doesn't necessarily influence what your day-to-day life is. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm doing this because I'm going to gain something. No, you're doing this for the collective whole. And you're choosing to be in support of, to, and for someone else so that they can receive free and clear access to the things that they want and that they need in order to get to a point of thriving in life. Yeah, I love that. Are you uh, familiar with Willie Jackson and his work? No. Okay. He does. He, he was a guest on one of our client's shows. And I think he does similar work to you in terms of DEI consulting, I think mostly for tech companies in, in the Bay Area. But I know that one of the things when I was listening through one of the episodes that he was on was he talks about this distinction between being an ally versus an accomplice. And the difference being that an accomplice has something at stake. They have something to lose and how that is I think that's shifted. I think in like past years, being an ally was was that. And now there's kind of this split that's happened where it's popular to be an ally without, you know, taking a social media stance, a kind of clicktivism without actually risking anything. And so there's like a new word that has needed to be created in order to be an accomplice there. And so it sounds like that's what you're talking about here, where you're going out of your way, you're putting yourself on the line, and you're actually risking something to help lift other people up, which, I mean, I think for our audience of of wellness professionals is so relevant to, you know, so many people who are listening to this show, really, like, that's their vision for the world is to lift up people who have whatever these health ailments or whatever it might be, but like really thinking in a holistic matter. So I think that that's a really important thing to internalize as someone doing healing work. Well, the big thing, I think, in any of it, because I've I've heard ally, I've heard accomplice, I've heard co-conspirator, and I think the big thing for me with any of these terms is that there needs to be action involved. None of them are meant to be, yes, I sat back, I put up a statement, and that's it. I didn't do anything else. I didn't push any farther. And so I really want to stress the fact that the whole premise of all of these things is being in action. It's about you seeing what it is, what needs to happen, what do you need to do? And I do think that there is something to be said about how does this affect you? Because there is this point of like, if we're doing all these things, and so I can give an example, a few months ago, there was a lot of conversation around the word master. And we were talking about you would see people on Twitter talking about the word like master bedroom in reference to a house and how certain realtor organizations were saying, oh, we're not going to use that anymore. And I think it was John Legend that tweeted out there. He was like, that's great. Can we work on redlining now? Thanks. And it's like, you know, it's great for you to take this word off, but nothing is truly gained or ventured in that sense. Yes, the semantics matters, But at the end of the day, can we make sure that more people can see the house? Can we make sure that people aren't kind of stuck in these bubbles on the map by these delineated areas that you stay here and I stay here and that's all it is? And so, yes, words absolutely matter. And what are the roots and the practices that are actually keeping it in place? Because I think that there might be less people worried about changing the word 
if the actions that were attached to you even seeing or not seeing that word were addressed first and foremost. I'm so glad you you mentioned that about words mattering. And I think that uh, you can't talk about any of these issues without acknowledging that, that the words all of us use and, you know, you could make the argument that everything we do boils down to words at some point, words in our heads, words on our computer screens, words on our home pages, on social media, everything comes back to words at some point. That's how we convey ideas. And I know that you have, uh, I, I've heard have a poetry practice, which I recently heard, read an article and it was about like why CEOs in, in 2020, 2021 need to read poetry. And there was a quote in there that poetry is about maximizing like the word's impact, each word's impact. And I thought that was such a like a, a great way to kind of summarize it. It's being like economical with words and like charging each word with it, its utmost impact. And so I'm curious, like as someone who thinks about poetry and who writes poetry and consumes poetry, like how that has shaped your perspective in in doing this work and in in dealing with with other people and in navigating some of these really charged words. So, I am one of those people that words does matter in the sense of like let's say in relationship, it does matter to me like if you don't acknowledge something or you don't see something or you just don't pay it attention. Like words and thing in ways like that do matter to me. However, I have also you know, through life and through my profession also seen that words aren't always an indication of where someone is because for some people, words don't come as easily. For some people, words aren't always attached to how they feel at that moment. Sometimes they can feel disjointed to their actions because, right, you know, if we look at like the five love languages, for some people, you know, words of affirmation mean nothing to them. And so therefore they just don't connect them. And so I think words matter. And I think they matter a lot. And I don't think that it's up to any one person to, de to decide how much they mean to someone else. And at the same time, I think that actions are so important because you can tell me I'm important all day. If you don't treat me as if I'm important, then I'm going to see that disconnect. And so I think that, yes, the words matter, but let's also look at the other pieces that are really going to prove or disprove what they are. And I think, again, that shows up in life and it shows up in business because when you have people that will, you know, go out and it's like, I have an inclusivity statement. It's like, yes, but you have had one black podcast guest for every 100 episodes that you have. You have had nobody on any of the stages that you hold space for that is not a male. You have not actually done anything that supports these words that you're saying. And so, if the words are not tethered to something, then I think it's it's really challenging. And when we really pay attention to how cathartic or how detrimental words can be, I think maybe we'll pay a little bit more attention to it. Because as someone that, you know, did reconnect with their love of writing for poetry and understanding just how much, you know, my words can can amplify or muffle. You really have to understand that that's another tool and you have to wield it from a very mindful and intentional place. Mm -hmm. Has that reconnecting with that practice influenced how you speak in your day-to-day -day life or write elsewhere? The funny part is, is I'm always a bit flowery <laughs> with my language. I am definitely like, like you can kind of like listen to me over time and you're like, 
Like, it's funny. We have um, a client that we work with and we'll get on these calls and we're actually working through tangible business things. And even like the past couple of times are like, okay. And I feel like I've been to church now. Thank you. I needed that. And so somehow or another, this is just how I can, I will speak. And it influences what I do in a very positive way because I am passionate about what I do. And it's not just a surface thing. And so it's not just about, oh, you have to be passionate about black lives. It's that passion about fixing disparities and lacks of equity. And I will get in and it's like, this is just how I communicate, which is why I also then realized that I needed someone else to help with very strategic and clear and concise language because that's not my strong suit. So I realized where I needed to have a partnership in my business for that. But for me, like that emotional piece, because what I do really does require you to have an emotional connection to wanting to do this work. Because very few people are going to say, I want to do this just because it's a logical thing to do. It There needs to be some kind of emotional tie to it. And so me being able to create that connection with people, which is one of the reasons that I love podcasts, I do so well in conversation of being able to really just draw you in and you're listening to the dialogue and the conversation and you're hearing the story. That is a huge part of how I convert and how I convey my message and how I get people to want to do this because I don't need to sell you on anything. You have to want this. And I think that that's, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of my marketing effort, so to speak. Every Sunday, I send out my Listen Up newsletter to over a thousand entrepreneurs, marketers, and creatives who are seeking to grow an audience around work that means something. Each week features an article to help you reframe how you're approaching your business along with five things I discovered in the previous week that I think might help you in your life and business as well. Instead of another tactic or strategy to add to your never-ending to-do list, this newsletter is meant to help you rise above the noise and look at your work from a new perspective. It's best consumed sitting somewhere cozy with a cup of coffee in your hand, which is exactly how I write it. Writing this newsletter is my very favorite thing I do in my business, and it's something I'm truly proud to create and share. I'd be honored to send it to you, and you can sign up at betterwellness.biz slash newsletter. Before wrapping up our conversation, I wanted to know if there was a challenge that Erica had for any of us who are looking to make diversity, equity, and inclusivity a bigger part of our businesses over the next six to 12 months. I would love to see clarity on what you support, what you're against, and seeing how that impacts every area of your business, whether that be your podcast, if you have one, whether that be those that you support through the services that you offer, the supply chains that you use, the things that you choose to participate in and to put your name and your image along with, being able to actually audit everything that you are touching and are interacting with and being able to see is this actually in alignment with who I am, how I am, and where I choose to go? And if not, what needs to shift? And the hope is that you can look back in six to 12 months and be able to see where you have shifted things, where you have changed, who you're giving your money to, where your resources are put, who is being attracted to you, who's listening to you, who has come back and said, you know what, I had no idea how much I needed what what you provide, what looks different in what you do, how you do it, and who you do it for in six to 12 months. 
And then uh, the last question I always like to ask everyone is, I like to say that this is a show that is purportedly about building better wellness businesses, but is really about building a better world. So I'm curious uh, what comes to mind for you uh, when you hear the phrase building better. First of all, the word better always just reminds me of the fact that there's a possibility of doing that. You don't have to be limited to just where you are in this moment or the things that you think, oh, I can't do more than this. I can't do differently than this. This is it. And it really is having kind of that growth mindset. And I think building better is about realizing that where you are is not the ending point and that you have other things in mind and other places to visit and other journeys to experience and seeing, you know, literally brick by brick or stone by stone, what are the things that are going to contribute to that and what is going to not only build that up for you, but build that that path so that others behind you have a less rough road than maybe what you did when you started. I'm really grateful to Erica for taking this time to sit down and chat with me and to our past guest, Cher Hale, for connecting us in the first place. If you're interested in going deeper into what Erica does, she's actually hosting a couple of workshops this month, which are designed to help you get clear on what your values are and how you can incorporate them into your business. You can find all the information about those workshops, Erica's fantastic podcast, Pause on the Play, and everything else she does at ericacorday.com. As always, those links, as well as everything else we talked about, will be in the show notes for this episode at betterwellness.biz slash 022. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative. Big thanks in particular to Tom Kelly for sound engineering support, Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for his help with video editing, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their behind-the-scenes work keeping everything running smoothly and on schedule. To you listening, thank you so much for spending this time with me, and we're going to end things a little bit differently this week. After our conversation about the power and importance of poetry, I asked Erica if she had something she would be willing to share. I'll let her close this episode out. I do, and this is a simple one. This was one when I really was working on, you know, some pieces of my own spiritual practice, which is an ongoing thing, and really needing to have some simple mantras to remind myself and to ground myself because I'm taking in a lot of other people's energy with the work I do. And so writing out these mantras was really helpful for me. I am not the voice of the mind. I'm just the one who hears it. I don't need to be what you think I should. I am more than strong enough to do this. I don't have to be strong all the time. I can stop and just be. I am strong because I am learning when not to be.